should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull****. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Well, hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show. I am B.B. Sweetbriar, and I am sitting in for Michelle, who is on assignment for the rest of this week um, in Hawaii, by the way. I, and I will attest, I will definitely attest that she is on assignment. She is not on vacation. Um, but I will be um, handling the show for today. And I want to hopefully think that I want to hopefully think that you all had a weekend filled with love since we were celebrating or are enjoying hopefully on Sunday Valentine's Day and uh, previous to the days leading up to that hopefully were filled with love for you as well and that's kind of a great lead-in for us today for us to uh, lead into our first guest who like most of us um, sat before our television screens or in the sports bar watching Super Bowl 50 on the 7th of February, and I'm sure most of us um, enjoyed the halftime show. At least I know I did, and many of my friends that were with me also enjoyed it. And, of course, you know Super Bowl was in the Bay Area of San Francisco, um, which is the gayest city, hands down, in the world. I, I think we can say that, honestly. And um, there were some things that were going on in the halftime show, which people read as being pro-gay, pro-LGBTQ, um, promoting such um, lifestyle information, all of that stuff above. Of course, very silly um, and whatnot. But um, my first guest happened to write a wonderful article on um, Queer Voices of the Huffington Post. And, and it was basically directed to a particular group of people because it was entitled to those bothered by the gay agenda at the Super Bowl 50. Pretty direct, pretty pointed um, to the audience that she hoped read this. Uh, my first guest is an LGBTQ activist and um, is a writer of, uh, and a communications consultant, has her own YouTube channel called Island Les Talk, model, singer. You know, got that one from the picture I saw. Very, very, very lovely lady. Um, and her name is Tashika Levon. And I think Tashika's on the line with us right now. Hello. How are Hello, you? Baby. I am fine. How are you? I am doing great. The weather in San Francisco is absolutely fabulous, so <laughs> I can't complain. You know what I mean? I, I'm snowed in. I, Thank you for that. <laughs> I, I will be right there with you, unless it's over next month when I go and visit my sister in D.C., and then I'm going to New York. So hopefully it'll be all gone by then, but, you know, I'm not going to count my <laughs> blessings on that one. So, um, But welcome to, to the Michelle Meow Show, and I, I want to— Oh, I want to applaud you for making yourself available, and I also want to applaud you for uh, the article because it was, number one, very well written, but it was something that needed to be said as well as mm -hmm. questions that needed to be asked. And yeah. um, in your article, definitely um, uh, did all of that. But the first thing I want to ask of you is, in your idea, I know what my what my assumptions are and what I saw, but in your in your mind, what was it that you saw in the halftime show which may have led you to believe that there was definitely a message of pro love and um, regardless of who you are. It was really mm -hmm. believe in love was the message I think that you were saying was put out there. What led you to believe that that Coldplay, Beyonce um, halftime show was directed in that way? 
Oh, so for me, I mean, I, uh, here I am, you know, enjoying this very colorful display. And, you know, in my, in my mind, mm. at first I said, okay, so is it that Coldplay is our family? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, are they our rainbow family? I wasn't sure. But then what I gathered from all of that was just, you know, something that will grab our attention. Mm -hmm. And colors usually do that. Mm -hmm. But then at the end, when that, that, that bold display of belief in love came on, I was like, you know what, this isn't, this isn't even about LGBT. Mm -hmm. this, isn't a, this isn't about a gay agenda, nothing like that. It's simply a message about the one thing that brings us all together. You know, where, where no differences are seen, we're all the same, and that's love. Mm -hmm. Now, when I went on to the comment section, I was floored. Mm -hmm. I could not believe what I was seeing. I mean, in the article that, that I wrote, I, I made sure to highlight and some of the quotes that, you know, th that people were saying. And I, I mean, what tears came to my eyes, to be well, honest. Let, let, me, let, me, let me read some of those because I think they were um, for the audience out there because um, I think they're very important for them to understand mm -hmm. what it is that you saw. Um, which then again led to you to address that. Um, mm -hmm. Here are some of the quotes that you pointed out. Um, why can't I just turn on my TV without some gay shit being pushed mm -hmm. in my face these days? That was one. Another one was worst halftime show ever. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know what they were watching. Um, and then the other was, I knew those Coldplay dudes were fags. That's one quote. Mm -hmm. um, or And then uh, you also pointed out this one. Wow, are we promoting a gay agenda during the, a very important football game? The devil is at work tonight, but God's love is more powerful. Now, I don't know what God love she's talking about or he's talking about. But I think, the, I think the God that I worship would have been very proud of the show. Um um, so those are the messages that you were um, faced with when you went on to the comment section about the show. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what led to me writing that article. And this was in the, in the night. And I just, I could not sleep, honestly. Mm -hmm. After I read those comments, I couldn't sleep because I'm coming from a place in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And if anyone knows about the Caribbean and LGBT issues, it is horrible. Mm -hmm. We are faced with so much discrimination on a daily basis, and it is those small comments like what, what you just read uh -huh. that leads so many of us to, 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 to dive into isolation, to, mm -hmm. to, to stay in the closet, to be afraid to come and, and express ourselves proudly. It's those little things, and I cannot believe in 2016, we are still hating love. Right. And that's what I can't understand, because... In this, in this entire presentation put on during the halftime, all I saw was the people who believe in love. Mm -hmm. And that is a message for everyone. And I do not understand how someone could take such a positive message and turn it into something so negative, all because there is some sort of belief that this was a was an LGBT agenda, a LGBT well, message, a gay agenda. And so what though? Yeah. So what if it was? Well, what, what, what do you think, though, that some of the the perception from those people who wrote that, mm -hmm. those 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 comments, um, do you think those perceptions were predicated by the fact that the game was being held in what most people consider to be the gayest area of the world, being the San Francisco Bay Area? Do you think that regardless of what actually would have happened in that halftime show that any type of showing of color any type of showing of um, potentially um, some stereotypical behavior of some of the performers mm -hmm. or whatever would have led them led those comments um, uh, would have been uh, those people would have made those comments just because it happens to be in the San Francisco Bay Area that they already in their mind were set to say I know what the halftime show is going to be about <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know, uh, be, just because they know where the game is. Like, like I'm so shocked mm -hmm. that there wasn't even more stuff about 
um, the referees on the field or people in the stands or anything like that, which mm-hmm. there probably were. I mean, I'm sure we can go and find articles or comments being made on other things that led to other things other than the halftime show, just due to the fact that the game was in the San Francisco Bay Area. And because um, I'll tell you, there were a lot of LGBTQ people represented at the game in their colors for the teams that they love and doing everything. So I know that there were people in the stands face to face with people who are happen to be of our community um, so I so I'm wondering how much uh, you know maybe you can come on this how much you think that the people who are making these hateful comments already were going to make those hateful comments even if they didn't see the 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 halftime show just because the game was held where it was held I personally I just I, I don't think so I don't mm-hmm. think it mattered where it was going to be held okay. um, for me I just think it's a matter well of, well of course in any situation people are going to look at the environment that they're in and so naturally someone especially who's familiar with you know um, mm-hmm. San Francisco and 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 knowing that it's one of the gayest capitals ever <laughs> <laughs> it, it would, would have that in mind but I think the average person really would not have been thinking that um, mm-hmm. in terms of where it's being held. Because even for me, I, that never crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. I really did not think that. I, just, I was just saying to myself, God, I wish I was there so I could see some of my friends. Yeah, but yeah. For, for, the, for the average person, I think no matter what, um, no matter where something is happening, it's the message. Mm-hmm. And there, there are people in this world, <laughs> sadly, if the message isn't like popular, mm-hmm. They just don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And if it's a message that, that, that you're against, they just, no matter how positive it is, yeah. people are they're just not going to want to hear it. Just like people who see rainbow colors. A lot of the times, even in the Caribbean, you have to be careful what you wear. Yeah. And, they, it's, and it's sad. Me putting on a rainbow, a rainbow um, um, blouse or uh, something with a rainbow flag on it, automatically, even if you're not gay, oh, She's a she's a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's a she's a butch. She mm-hmm. she she's she's a she's a fag or some crap like that. Mm-hmm. They would say things like that. So the moment that colorful display was presented, I can only imagine how some people in the stands were probably turning up their faces. Maybe a few of them walked out, and I would hope so because it's it's better to not have hate in a in a in a very loving um, presentation. Mm-hmm. So. I don't think it mattered where this event would have taken place. It's well, just a matter that the message was not was not welcomed by some people. By some people. And, and also that, that wasn't really the only message that was presented that that evening or that halftime <laughs> show because, you know, mm-hmm. you as well as I being a person of color um, mm-hmm. know that Beyonce had a different message in her presentation. Yeah. Beyonce's message. I mean, I just wrote about that actually today. Um, and for me, it's sad that we are not able to accept the messages that are coming from minority groups. That to me is really sad because the minority groups, we struggle a lot with certain things. We struggle with being accepted. And me being a gay person plus a black person, mm-hmm. I totally understand it it is my reality every day every day that's my reality and so to the point where i actually had to leave my home country in the caribbean and come to live in toronto canada just so that i could be happy so i when i write i try to understand where people are coming from and beyonce being the superstar and everything that she is, I really don't, it's, it's really not a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a Beyonce fan. I, I, am a, I am a music fan. And I'm just happy that at least gr- people who are in positions to be heard are using their voices for good. And for me, I do not think that the reactions that, that, that we're getting right now based on Beyonce's message and even Coldplay's message um, in, a, in the sense, um, even if it's not directly LGBT, I think we need to step back and evaluate ourselves mm-hmm. and realize that we are living in a time now where people love to hate. Mm-hmm. Well, we embrace hate even more than love. Love to hate, not only love to hate, but love to promote hate. And I think yes. that's even I think that's even scarier 
It is. And then the love to hate because they are teaching our children because we all know that hate is a learned behavior. We are not born into Thank this you. world hating anything. We're all born in this world with uh, uh, love because that's what the mother is giving the child while it is growing inside of her is nothing but love. And, and we uh, see that because right. as a child, as a child, we don't know anything about hate. Mm-hmm. A child, uh, you you see children playing all the time. Uh, uh, even even children who even from the start, you could you could know that if they're gonna be a lesbian or if they're gay or whatever. You right. you see that, and you also see children, black and white, playing together. We they don't understand what until it somebody means tells hate. them something differently. Exactly. Yes, until somebody tells so them the, something differently. So the messages that we're sending, we have to be extremely careful that we don't take them and, and, and promote hatred instead of what these messages are trying to promote, mm-hmm. which is love. And I think Coldplay's message, Believe in Love, was just a prime example of how sad all the times that this, the sad times that we're living in. It, it really just indicates that. Beyond well, I think I think it was really well, I think it was really also great too because I know in some other uh, publicity leading up to the game where mm-hmm. as, as many people may or may not know is that um, Beyonce uh, and her husband Jay-Z are already friends with um, Coldplay lead singer yes. and, and his wife. Very close. And, and Very close. I love the vision that they showed with Beyonce's daughter playing with Apple, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the um, Coldplay's uh, daughter. And I thought yeah. that was a- another great message of showing, you know, uh, you know, a-, a young black child with a young white child and they were getting along very well. And, you know, again, promoting love and, uh, in, you know, in, despite the differences of the color of their skin, these two children were definitely enjoying each other's company and having a good time. Also something, a message that obviously promoted by their parents. Um, um, and we missed it. And, we, and, and people most missed, of us it. missed it. Most people missed because, that. And intentionally, too. Some people missed it intentionally because they just do not. To them, it is not important. It should, we shouldn't be pushing these issues doing something so important. Like, for real, what better way to get your message across than than events like this one. Well, I'm going to I'm going to I'm I'm going to delve into that with you in just a second. I want you to keep that thought cuz that was going to be my <laughs> next question about the future of these types of things being seen at events like this, but we're going to take a quick break and I'm going to come back and I'm going to continue my conversation um, with Tashika Levon about um, uh, the promotion of love, the message of love that was being um, definitely overtly there at the Super Bowl 50 halftime and what that means to the future of things like this at events like that. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Babe. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. 
Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back, everyone. If you are uh, just now joining us on the Michelle Meow Show, I am B.B. Sweetbriar, and I'm the fill-in host for the show today while Michelle is on assignment, and I am going to continue to preface she is in Hawaii, so I just want you to know how hard she's working <laughs> over there. But we are continuing our conversation with a wonderful writer and communications consultant who wrote an article in the Huffington Post on their Queer Voices section uh, about the Super Bowl 50 and the negative comments and negative energy that resulted after the halftime show, um, which uh, was promoting actually love, just brotherly love. So uh, Tashika Levon is on the phone with us here. And we were talking, um, we were just about to talk about how celebrities in general do many times use events like the Super Bowl, large events where they have the attentions of millions of people to promote some agenda that they may have or whatever that may be. And in this case, Coldplay, um, um, we're, and I haven't really read anything that from them addressing any of this uh, I don't know if anything's out there, but I have hadn't found anything. But I do believe that they were definitely promoting love because their whole mess at the very end of it, as you mentioned, um, uh, Tashika, in your commentary, that mm -hmm. it said "believe in love" at the very end of the, um, uh, you know, the, the uh, of the whole program and those lights and and all of that. So they definitely had that promotion as well as Beyonce in her message about the plight that happened to New Orleans and that that still exists, that those people, that the African-American people in that city are still suffering and that that maybe in that city we can look at, but that's happening still all over the country and the world. So those messages were being done there and it had a lot of emphasis on, uh, on the world and people commented on it. Even Lady Gaga had some comments made about her performance of the national anthem and some of the, the act the, the motion she made and what that may have meant. Um, it, you know, people are kind of sometimes read too much into things. But again, what 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 do you think is going to happen with the future of the Super Bowl? Because this is the first time that I can in a long time um, hearing so much comment about what messages were being sent from a Super Bowl halftime show. Um, do you think that maybe these types of events, particularly the Super Bowl, may may want to? know or look at what or what type of performance these performers are going to be doing beforehand? I, I don't know. I mean, what do you think the future of um, th these types of events and, and celebrities utilizing them as a platform for, you know, their messages? I would hope that organizers of these events would simply allow these types of messages to continue. Mm -hmm. I would be absolutely devastated and disappointed if I was to hear that, you know, they're now um, going to be trimming certain messages. Yeah, censoring, in other words, yeah. Yeah, I would, I actually would be, I would be appalled mm -hmm. if I was to hear that any day because we're seeing now that even with Beyonce's performance that there's an anti-Beyonce um, campaign going on, yeah. Campaign going on. And I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> now my thing is, and even last night um, with the Grammys, we saw, uh, what's his name? Kendrick Lamar. Mm -hmm. um, his performance, you know, just speaking about black history and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I would, I, I to me, I'm saying these are the types of events that we need to push these types of messages. Mm -hmm. Because for one, there are so many people of influence around 
who can who can hear these messages, let it sink in, see where people are coming from, and really try to make an effort to spread the message so that this world can be a better place. Mm-hmm. Because these messages are not promoting hatred, they're not promoting violence, they're not promoting you know that that you should discriminate. And so these messages are positive. Mm-hmm. So why are we using these? Why would we want? Why would we not want these positive messages to really? be heard in a setting where millions are watching and listening. And, and, and for me, I'm thinking these organizers, they should be embracing much more. They well, should be embracing these things. Or, and it probably should be something that is uh, expected only because art is a reflection of our environment. And exactly. so whatever we're going through as a society, artists, whether it be painters, sculptors, singers, poets, um, uh, people who write literature, they're going to put in their art um, a reflection of what's happening in the world around them. And so we should really expect it as an audience, definitely, that whomever we're watching is hopefully going to be sending something to us based on what is around in their world. And yeah. um, and, 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 and just as you said, those watching should be really listening intently on what's being said to them to even determine whether or not it is something positive or something negative. Because we're talking about the positive messages, but we also know there's people out there who also write about, sing about, paint about, sculpt about things that aren't positive as well true. so true. Um, that is true. you know so we need to look at all of those things um but but to also just realize that they are a reflection of the world that that artist is living in and and that we need to listen to those messages and if they tend to always be centered around something particular it's like mm, God, the last few performances I saw by these groups of people happened to be about hatred against a certain minority group. Maybe mm-hmm. you should look at that and say maybe because that's the reality and that's what's going on in the world. Maybe not in their immediate world that they live in, but that is happening yeah. in a large portion of the world out there. I agree with and- you. I'm, I'm hope, hopeful that we will continue to see more. And I'm hopeful, and I, I'm pretty sure, I, I'm pretty sure Beyonce could give a rat's behind. <laughs> about any of those people out there who may be trying to boycott her performances or not Mm -hmm. buy her music because she doesn't need another dime given to her at all. And I, I applaud her for being, regardless of whether or not you agree or disagree with what Mm -hmm. she did, I applaud anyone who has the balls to stand up before millions of people knowing that the message that they're going to send out is going to have some dissension and to know because you know she already knew she already knew all of that that's why she she didn't that's why she didn't drop that single until the day before Mm -hmm. that's why she she you know everyone in her troop were african-american women um there was definitely Everything was planned out to the T, and she knew what was going to be the fallout from it, but that did not stop her from saying what she needed to, what she wanted to say and what she thought the world needed to hear. And I also applaud Coldplay for making mm-hmm. those same brave moves, regardless if you agree or disagree, because this is a time when he felt or they felt that the world needed some healing and we needed to hear about love, the commonality. Uh The three people that performed in that halftime show came from three different walks of life. Uh Uh Their Uh backgrounds were totally different, totally different. And all that I saw on that stage between the three of them was total love. Even the little play between um, Beyonce and uh, uh, and Bruno Mars, Bruno Mars, where they were kind of doing that little battle between each other, mm-hmm. that playful mm-hmm. thing there, and then at the end where they were just embracing each other, that that all was all a message mm-hmm. right there. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? That they they encountered their differences, and at the end they kind of embraced each other, and that's exactly what they were saying. You know what I mean? And that's why at the end it's it's to believe in love, right. because even if we're all, even though we're, we're different just looking at each other mm-hmm. we have different color skin that has nothing to do with how we should treat each other right. my it, it has everything to do with embracing our differences and respecting people for who they are and even their backgrounds because I mean to be honest to me the sing, the singing that I heard the lyrics that I'm hearing from a lot of these songs it's it's they all speak to their different realities, mm-hmm. and you just said it. Mm-hmm. Beyonce speaking about her, it, it, 
as a matter of fact, it may not even be her reality because mm-hmm. she's embraced by so many people, mm-hmm. by everyone. But she's speaking from, from a point of view where she knows that the race that she comes from, these are the struggles that they have endured. And even in her message, what I got mostly was as a black woman, you should love yourself. Mm-hmm. That is what I got from her message. More and she also addressed else. the message about, because we also know, I mean, now we're getting into some other things, but we also know that I with know. Anne, well, well, we also know that within races um, and minority groups that there are also racism. Um, oh, yes. You know, even within oh, the yes. black community, there's racism just by the mm-hmm. fact that you're a lighter skin than I am. Therefore, yes. you have more privileges than I do. And she and she talked about that, about her Creole mother and her, her, her darker skinned father. And they mm-hmm. united, but they brought us this beautiful black woman that stands before you performing today. And, you know, it, so she had a lot of messages going on in there. Um, but I think the bottom line, as you stated, is the whole show was talking about embracing differences, recognizing yeah. them, but embracing them because that's what makes our world. I think this is what's so funny is because I don't know how bored I would be if everything <laughs> in my world was exactly like I am. I, I don't know how bored I would be, but I would be very bored, you know, to know that. I, I feel you on that one. You know, I agree. That, to know that my mind was going to be resting idly because it wouldn't be learning anything differently than what I already know. You know what I mean? So it's like uh, I want to have a, a, a multitude of colors before me, um, you know, just to use a metaphor, multiple of colors before me that I can tap into and learn something every day, every moment. Mm-hmm. Me speaking mm-hmm. to you right now, I'm learning. And to not have that opportunity or to be uh, embracing that opportunity is to mm-hmm. me ridiculous. I would never want to live in a neighborhood or a world where everybody that was next to me that I encounter is exactly like me. Um, That's the beauty about this world. You know, I have too much respect for myself to want to do that um, because I want to continue to learn. I want to thank you, first of all, for writing the article. I want you to, uh, I want to thank you for posing the questions. I want to thank you for starting a dialogue. I want you, I want to thank you for bringing to the forefront to many people who may not have even noticed some of the things that you pointed out. Um, I want to thank you for that. Uh, You too fall in that category of being a brave one to write something that you know is going to be faced with dissension. But you know what? That's good because it starts a conversation. And um, so so I want to thank you for that. And I want to again thank you for being on the show. And hopefully we'll hear more from you because I know we will. Um, (laughs) And we can have you back on some other things. I want to remind the audience that um, uh, Chishika writes a, a column all over. She's always um, talking about LGBTQ issues as well as issues with women. And she has a wonderful YouTube channel called Island Les Talk, and that's L-E-Z. Um, so you can definitely tap into her anytime you want to on the wonderful YouTube. So thank you again. And we're going to take another brief message and we'll be back on the Michelle Meow Show. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years, and uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people, 
So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like to, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. Welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. And uh, right now we have, we have a gift for you. <laughs> we have a good friend of ours who's here in studio, and that is Vivian Ming. Vivian, thanks so much for being with us again. Absolutely. I would never pass it up. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've had Vivian on a couple times in talking about uh, tech and the LGBTQ community. Vivian uh, is a genius, I should say, but also a scientist, a mother, a beautiful you know, wife um, who uh, invents things, invents things in the tech world, right? Absolutely. Uh, you can only invent so many babies in your life. And so I supplement my need to be a mom by inventing neural networks and products and anything else that I think is going to move the needle on human potential. Right now is an exciting time for you. Uh, we talked about this last time in which you had plans to launch Muse and the time has come. Um, and uh, let's remind everyone, uh, you know, what Muse is all about. So Muse is this very modest proposition. I wanted to come up with a way to really give parents the ability to preserve the story of their children's life. Everything they were born with, you want them to fully realize throughout their life. And there's, we do so much, so many crazy things to make that happen. What if we just did something really simple? Like you answered a question once a day and in exchange for that, we gave you a single activity. The one thing you can do tonight that will have the biggest impact on your child's life. And we do it again tomorrow and the next day. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I can say as a mom, my kids were the first to ever signed up for Muse. And we have been doing this for a little while now. And apart from the fact that there's very fancy machine learning and hopes and dreams and wishes, it's just been great to have this simple thing we could do every night together. So let's break it down for everyday people now in terms of how the technology actually works. Um, yeah. Is it like a, like a text message? Is it like an email? Uh, how does it work? So we wanted this to be able to reach anyone. Yeah, it's technology. Yes, I am a fancy smancy machine learning technologist, but... Our proposition was, I want to be able to reach anyone with as little as a flip phone and a mobile network. So this works simply via text messages, or you can get an app. Uh, we have the Android version out now, and iPhone's in the works, and we even have plans beyond that. So it boils down to something very simple, which is, again, usually a yes-no question each day, and then a single thing, 10, 15, 20 minutes that you can sit down and do with each of your kids that was targeted exactly at what they need based on, quite literally on my part, research on well over 100 million people that I did on one of my last startups, uh, predicting their life outcomes and their career outcomes. How long will you live? How happy will you be? How much money will you make? Can you put me into that calculation and see what the solution or the outcome might be? No, that's a different show. Um, you mentioned earlier that you're, you know, you've you've tested Muse uh, in terms of, of your kids as participants. Um, what new thing did you learn about your kids, or what you know, anything fascinating that you you recognized? If you, if you didn't have Muse, that you wouldn't have recognized. Well, you know, one thing is interesting is my wife and I are both answering those yes no questions, and we don't always agree. Uh, wow. It was fun behind the scenes to develop a system that could actually make use of the fact that the parents disagree. But um, 
you know, it was funny. Oh, no, Felix needs more physical activity. Oh, no, I think he's in good shape. Um, so different feelings about that sort of thing starts to emerge in the parents, and it turns out that's informative too. Uh, and then the other side is sometimes it seems like the activity that it was tailor-made for my daughter, she goes by Tigger in the system, um, it, it just be honest, sometimes those things fall flat. And the mm -hmm. things that you think, oh, she'd never love this. I would never do this on my own. She is all over it. We did a scavenger hunt for shapes last night. She would draw out shapes, and then we'd hunt for them together around the house. And it was just, I thought she wouldn't get anything out of it, and it was a blast. <laughs> so since it's radio, you know, we're going to have to try hard to get inside people's uh, imaginations and theatrical mind, if you can imagine how this software would work. So let's walk them through it. Let's let's give an example of how this could change uh, the relationship that you have with your children. So say um, you're starting the program for the first time. Um, how, how would it work? So you sign up, and the only thing we initially ask for is how old your kid is and what your zip code is. By the way, that's a little disturbing. Just knowing your zip code tells us so much about your kids and where they're headed in their life. Shouldn't be that way, but it is. From there, you know, we in some ways have told the whole story. There's some other fancy things that we've built, such as the ability to take a picture of your child's artwork. Our system can actually understand that picture or record their voice. But all you have to do each day, one yes, no question, and then it delivers an insight. Wow. Uh, so, you know, what is amazing about this to us is I I'm going to try and throw out a new, you know, business speak nonsense term, a triple bottom line. So we have had this most amazing experience. Companies have come to us and said, what if we got this for all of our employees? What if everyone working here, we could make an investment in them. We're already spending, we're, we have a philanthropic wing, we're spending money on our local school system. Would this help with that and help with our long term? 20 years from now, are we going to have, will there be kids that have grown up to, that can actually be our employees? And you know what? When you decrease that stress at home, when you've got something you feel like you're making progress with your kids, you've actually got more headspace you can be more successful at work. So we're calling it, yes, it's tasteless, a triple bottom line that, that companies can really benefit by directly investing in their families. Let's talk about, you know, something that I thought of um, uh, weeks after, you know, we spoke and you introduced this idea of Muse to the audience. Um, what about, like, cultural differences? Say, for example, you know, in my household growing up, um, the only thing that mattered to my mom was bringing home the grades. She didn't, she wasn't very... I think, you know, a lot of Asian kids feel this, but uh, your parents aren't very, they're active participants in your, your childhood in that way. And, you know, it's kind of like they tell you at a very young age, this is what life is supposed to be. Go to school and do your chores. And that's it. You get where I'm going? I know exactly yeah. what you're saying. And you know what? There's cultural differences within a society here, broadly speaking, in the United States, across societies. Uh, we're working on projects uh, across Africa, in rural China, we're looking to develop projects in India. Uh, just simply baseline culture, you genuine. I mean, we have to word things differently. Forget the different languages. Right. Even in English, you have to word things differently. Different kinds of parents respond differently. But specifically to what you're talking about, I actually just gave a TED Talk, and uh, I had this line in it. Sorry, Tiger Moms, but it's actually you as role model not as dictator that predicts the life outcomes of your children. So one of the things we can do isn't simply get parents engaged, but get them engaged in the right way. Got it. Got it. How fascinating. Um, so like I said, it's an exciting time for you right now, which means that Muse has officially launched, right? So Muse is out there. We are doing a public beta because we're a hybrid nonprofit. Um, we are insisting that anyone that wants to participate pay our enormously extravagant, I think it comes out to three lattes a year price for each of your kids. Yeah. Um, but that helps us give it away for free to anyone that can't afford $25. Uh, 
So we're kicking the tires right now out there in the public. And as soon as that's in place, we're going to expand and expand and expand. I love it. I love it. And this is for every parent. It's not, you know, just uh, directed or targeted to parents who are technologically advanced or anything like that, right? You know, a lot of what educational technology is, is about, and let's be honest here, it's about deciding who goes to Brown versus Princeton. And that's entirely good business, and you can genuinely help people there. We wanted to build something where we could take a kid that's growing up in a rural village, whether it's New Mexico or China or Liberia, and make a real difference in their life. And the same product can make a difference in the lives of my kids. And boy, I own a lot of privilege. Vivian, thank you so much for joining us here again, and congratulations on the official launch of Muse. And, and I mean, gosh, thanks for being a great human being and <laughs> living in our time and creating all these awesome, awesome products. All right. I have to just grin and say thank you for those soul-scorching compliments. Thank you so much. <laughs> to learn more about Muse, and uh, you don't have to be a parent. If you know you've got friends who are parents and, and people who want to learn about this stuff, you can head to SoCoastLearning.com, and that's S-O-C-O-S Learning.com. Don't go away. The show will continue right after this. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, Leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Our next guest is an award-winning British artist, and he's got a new uh, exhibition of workout, a very, um, I should say, sexy (laughs) new exhibition of work. Let's welcome Matthew Strodling. Matthew, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. How is it over there um, in a whole new different country? I'm not sure where you are, uh, if you are even in, uh, are you in North London? I'm, I'm in I'm in London, so yeah, I'm, it's uh, it's <laughs> it's seven o'clock in the evening, and it's um, cold. Ah, yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, it is unfortunately, or fortunately, very warm here in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. We need the rain, though. So, um, <laughs> let's talk about your new project, which is titled "Obscene and Pornographic Art." Um, yeah. <laughs> which sounds self-explanatory. That is what it is. Yes, exactly. We just thought, well, that's what it is, so that's what we'll call it. And <laughs> basically, it's a show by me and Sadie Lee, um, um, and it's actually named after a, a song by Bong, Bongwater. I don't know if you've heard of them, Bongwater. Uh, they're an American band. Um, and it's a song that both me and Sadie were kind of obsessed with and just really explained the exhibition. So, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what 
that's why it's named after that song, yeah. What are some underlining tones uh, to the work besides sex? I had read somewhere that it also touches um, upon death and uh, and also, you know, this need or hunger for 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 sex and fear of death. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I've, I've done a series of paintings. Um, I mean, they're mostly kind of um, using as reference material um, sort of images I found from pornography off of the internet. So it's kind of quoting pornography. And I've just found such an obsession in current pornography with, with, with horror and dominance and fear and, you know, kind of images of rape. And it's uh, I, I found it quite disturbing. And so I was kind of trying to examine that and question that and understand why this is going on at the moment and it seems with a lot of pornography especially in the gay world it's kind of trying to find more and more extremes um and it's very um divorced from this whole concept of like sex being to do with like relationship or love so Mm -hmm. so these images of horror keep cropping up everywhere and it seems like people are getting quite turned on by um you know, images of fear, basically. So, yeah, I was kind of questioning that, yeah. Um, and, I mean, throughout the history of, like, eroticism, there's always been a link with um, sort of the sexual act being being like a small death, like in French it's called la petite mort. So it's like this, the link between death and, and, and sexuality and, you know, how within orgasm you, you seek... Uh, extinction sort of thing and it's like losing losing yourself completely oh yeah that's uh yeah. And, <laughs> you get that <laughs> yeah that's a very 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 um interesting take i mean obviously for for you know, everyday people even uh even watching th- pornography it's it's very surface right it's a instant yeah. gratification um yeah. kind of a thing so this is this is very deep um mm-hmm. <laughs> uh especially I mean, well in the in the queer space as you had mentioned earlier the gay pornography space um yeah. i i actually you know when you talk about that fear i also feel sadness or loneliness uh in yeah, in totally, in the vulgar yeah. yeah totally yeah i completely get that and that's um yeah it's kind of what i'm I, I'm, I'm examining you know how people actually can't really seem to connect nowadays there seems to be um yeah, people are isolated. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole thing going on in England at the moment. I don't know if you've heard about it. This chemsex thing, which is basically um, people get out of their head on on drugs and things, and it's uh, they have group sex, and uh, it's kind of like a desperation to connect with people, uh, but purely on a kind of physical physical way. And yeah, it's it is sad um, mm-hmm. that that we can't actually connect, you know, one to one sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, so, yeah, I'm just kind of relay, relaying what I see within, you know, what I see of pornography. So, yeah. Right. In in one of your images um, that will, uh, I'm sure of it, be part of the exhibition, uh, there is a gentleman, um, you know, with this skull thing in front of his genitals. Um, and yeah. he's wearing a mask. And, and it feels very... I mean, like he, he uh, I, I guess like he's not even connecting with himself. Did I get that wrong? Yeah, no, no, I see that. Yeah, definitely. He's not really connecting with himself. Yeah, he's, uh, it's that whole imagery of, of masks and not seeing the real person. And it's kind of a joke, but it's playing with like deathly games. And um, yeah, but then the body is fully revealed and it's, you know, this beautiful, young, perfect body. So it's kind of as though everything has become about the body. Um, and nothing about, you know, connection and who the real person is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's what that painting is about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It- and there's this whole um, subculture of clown sex. So he's got a clown mask on, and I'm just wondering what that is about. You know, kind of clowns are very much uh, a, a childhood fear and you know this this scary clown face and how that gets sucked into you know, the erotic world, like, yeah, 
it's interesting. <laughs> I can also see it from the positive side. I mean, here in San Francisco, we celebrate kink very well, kink and leather and um, yeah. you know things like that, and our Folsom Street festivals or uh, stuff and, and events along those lines. And it seems like yeah. that space has expanded um, to include the fantasy world, uh, which it's not always the you know conventional leather gear that can get yeah. somebody turned on, but they're including animations and cartoons and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's a difference between, you know, the kink world and, you know, the world of leather and rubber and all that, which is, you know, quite a sensual world mm-hmm. as compared to, like, what you, what you do see in a lot of pornography, which is, you know, um, it's, it's not about... Um, uh, willingness to 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 partake in you know there's a lot of um, subjugating people to things that they don't enjoy so um, I think I think it's a very different world that that whole kind of yeah sure. SM world is right. kind of consensual and you know it has a it has a an erotic and sensual aspect to it and you know it's born out of like that sort of 70s you're absolutely you know, right uh, Thomas Finland thing. Yeah. Uh, but I see something different happening now. Right. Uh, yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. There's there's definitely something you know that feels forced yeah. in pornography. Um, what about this photo here of an elderly looking woman? I can't tell if it's a woman or a drag queen or, uh, but she's okay. got a, a cigarette and uh, what looks like some broken ass toes. Um, yeah. Yeah. What is that about? Well, that's a painting by Sadie Lee, the other mm-hmm. artist in the exhibition. Um, it's a portrait of Hollywood Lawn, um, who was one of Andy Warhol's transgendered superstars. He, mm-hmm. she, she, she was in a lot of his early films. Um, she's actually the subject of Lou Reed's song, Walk on the Wild Side. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sadie got to know her, did a whole series of um, portraits of her. Um, that, that's one of them. And... I mean, it's really up to Sadie to talk about them, but right, you know, sure. I can give my, my, my point of view. So, yeah, um, I mean, I see them as, you know, um, kind of depiction of aging superstardom. You know, she was one of the first out transgendered um, stars, you know, um, and it's kind of exploring her aging now. I mean, she, yeah. you know, she actually died. She died a few months ago. Um, that's why we included it in the show, her, her series of paintings of Hollywood Lawn, because it was a kind of tribute to her because she died. Mm-hmm. Um, so but the, I, yeah, I see the, paint, the paintings as a, yeah. you know, it's an intimate portrait of what it's like to grow old, having been you know this glamorous Warholian superstar. Mm-hmm. So there seems to be a, a, a difference between your work and Sadie's work in this exhibition. Um, I might yeah. take is yours as the pornographic parts, and hers are the obscene. Um, no, not really. Um, she she does some pornographic work in the exhibition as well. There's uh, she does four paintings which are based on um, Rococo paintings by Boucher. Um, so she's they uh, the, the four the four paintings she originally took as reference um, all kind of had lesbian subtext. So they um, but they were presented in a very titillating and beautiful and glossed over way. So what she has done, she's taken the whole format of those original paintings and put in it, instead of the, you know, the, the, the lush um, titillating images, she's used 1970s um, hardcore lesbian pornography. So mm-hmm. it's lots of like, you know, it's, it's very hardcore. <laughs> yeah. So within these very, very flowery, beautiful flowing images with cherubs and, you know, um, lakes and beautiful things. There's this like you know hardcore, uh, full-on action. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, that's 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 some of her. Yeah, that's, that's the pornographic aspect of her work. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for clarifying that. I mean, all of it um, okay. <laughs> looks great. Uh, you know, it's all famous artworks uh, with a graphic uh-huh. twist is what I'm reading. It's yeah. a new exhibition exploring relationships, gender, and sex. Um, is, this, is this new for, you know, for the community and the, where you're from, wh- who you host? Um, is it new for us to what? Yeah, to present this type of artwork um, in kind yeah, of... I, yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, we... I mean, we've never... I, I've never seen kind of um, 
such hardcore pornography being depicted, you know, in paint um, as as fine art. So, I mean, both Hedy and I draw reference to um, a painter called um, John Curran. I mean, he's the only artist we actually know who has um, depicted, you know, full-on sex in a, in a, in a very beautifully painted um, fine art way. So, uh, I guess he was a big influence on us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he didn't take it. He didn't take it into a queer arena. So um, we we both, you know, we both come from a kind of art historical background where we reference, you know, the great masters, old art quite a lot, and we just wanted to bring the reality of um, what those old masters were speaking about into the you know current century. And um, you know, many of those the great masters were dealing with very extreme sort of sexual content and you know some of them were gay i mean like leonardo michelangelo botticelli were all gay artists but that's not really been acknowledged in the history of art so um and when you look at like michelangelo's sistine chapel it's a, it's a big orgy of uh homoeroticism it's just like naked men writhing everywhere mm-hmm. um but this has been you know kind of usurped into a Christian background and it's kind of taken as being okay. But, you know, when you're gay, you can actually sort of see, like, this is very erotic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of reclaiming, you know, the gay aspects yeah. of, 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 of history of art. Exactly. So, yeah. I love it. I love it. Matthew, thank you so much okay. for being with us today and for talking about your work. And then congratulations on the exhibit. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you very much. So the uh, obscene and pornographic art will take place at Birmingham School of of Arts, um, and uh, that is January through, I guess it's happening from now January through February 11th. Tune into the Michelle Miao Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices.